The Blevins Franks Report with Rob Kay of Blevins Franks Wealth Management. It's that time here on Riviera Radio where we talk to Rob Kay. How are you doing, Rob? Good morning, Howard. Yeah, I'm very well, thank you. Yourself? Yeah, thank you very much. I've got the buds of spring around me, but we'll get to that in a minute. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, it is the official start to spring next week, so this seems like an appropriate time to look back and ask the question, was the past winter all bleak? You know, the bleak midwinter and all that for the world's investment Mm -hmm. markets? Or did they weather the period of short days and long nights positively? But before we get into that discussing investment markets, what caught your eye in the news this week? Well, Howard, uh, I have to start by saying uh, I certainly stirred up a hornet's nest last week when I mentioned the new property declaration. We were absolutely inundated with questions. So just to clarify a few of the frequently asked questions, the French government would ideally like everyone to complete the declaration online. But it is possible to phone and speak to an advisor and and declare the required information over the phone. You can also go to your local tax office for help, but there's actually no physical form you can fill in and send back. The deadline for completing the declaration is June the 30th, and if you don't make a declaration, you could be fined €150, and that fine applies per property. So if you own multiple properties, it could be a fine for each main or secondary property, including those owned via an SCI. If you own a rental property, which you leave to a property agent to manage, you still need to do the declaration. Now, as someone who won't collect his UK state pension until he's 68, I'm starting to find the ongoing French strikes over moving the French retirement age from 62 to 64 just a little tiresome. And while I'm having a groan, why do people have to turn up at these events with flurs? And then why is it also okay if you're protesting about re- re- increasing the retirement age from 62 to 64, why is it okay to burn cars and vandalise property? The mind boggles. Now, after Tuesday's day of action when the unions promised to bring France to a standstill, it was reported that 1.25 million people had taken to the streets. Unsurprisingly, unions put the figure at nearer to 3.5 million. We are told the protesters will continue with potentially another couple of strikes this coming week. Unions are also urging workers in key economic sectors to remain on strike, to ratchet up the pressure on the president. Mélenchon, the leader of the left-wing France Unbowed party, depicted the unrest as a struggle between an entire people and one person, the president while the General Secretary of the Confederation of Small and Medium-Sized Companies denounced the strikes as absolutely scandalous. Closer to home this week, the Society Band de Mer uh, must have been gutted when they had to announce that their ambitious project to rebuild the Café de Paris won't be open in time for the summer season. They blamed the delay on optimistic expectations, which didn't take into consideration setbacks such as international supply delays for building materials, The reopening has now been postponed until the end of October. On Friday, President Macron hosted British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak for the first bilateral summit between Britain and France in five years. Macron described the meeting as an opportunity to repair a beautiful friendship. Unsurprisingly, there was a clash of personalities between Macron and Boris Johnson, which led to them being barely on speaking terms by the end of Johnson's premiership. The poor relationship was then compounded when Johnson's successor, Liz Trust, said during a brief period in charge that she did not know if France was friend or foe. 
The relationship between the two countries has clearly suffered in the aftermath of Brexit, but Macron said Britain remains a crucial partner and repairing ties is long overdue. The negotiation of the Northern Ireland Protocol paved the way for better relations and the summit was described as an important step in the recovery process. I suppose all we can do, Howard, is watch this space and see what develops. Yeah. Well, towards the end of last year, you referred to a reverse bottom, which I thought was a baking expression, not an investment event. Did it work out as you expected? (laughs) Yeah, well, I'm not sure I would describe as what I said my expectation, Howard, but it does seem to have been proved correct so far. For For those of you who didn't listen to the broadcast, and if not, why not? I explained that historically, lots of investment market declines have ended with what investment technicians refer to as a reverse bottom. This is the point when, as the name suggests, investment markets hit a point which professional investors consider is rock bottom. The biggest challenge is actually spotting them. Back on the 13th of October last year, an inflation report was published at 8.30am. The S&P 500 then immediately opened the day, plunging 2.4%. But over the course of that day, without any external input, it turned around and finished the day up 2.6%. That has proved to be a perfect example of what a reverse bottom is. The beginning of this year, the end of last year, the markets were volatile, but they did end last year in positive territory. The S&P was up 10%, the FT100 11%, the CAC Caron 15% and the DAX gained 18%. So we entered 2023 with investment analysts making a lot more positive noises about the investment outlook for 2023. That is, possibly until Jerome Powell announced on Tuesday that interest rates are likely to rise higher than previously expected. The world's equity markets continued the positive last quarter performance and so far this year the S&P 500 is up around 6%, the FT100 about 5%, the DAX 11% and the star of the show this year so far has been the French CAC Caron, which year to day is up over 12%. So as we approach the end of the first quarter, what's your view of 2023 from an investment perspective? Um, well, after two years when at various points the whole world was locked down and when we weren't able to, uh, uh, weren't locked down, we had to abide by very strict uh, restrictions. Um, what has happened to investment markets shouldn't really have been a surprise. Governments all around the world had to throw enormous sums of cash down deep, dark holes just to prop up their economies. When the restrictions loosened, people were always going to start spending and with that much cash swirling around, inflation was always going to be the next big challenge. The simple fact is, the value of buying stock in some of the world's greatest companies might never be this attractive ever again. Consider just for a moment the combined situation we find ourselves in. The economic distortions caused by COVID are gradually being dispelled, as it seems is the disease itself. After that, the explosion of the monetary supply is finally being drained. As we have seen this week, governments are committed to reining in inflation and although we might see various companies' corporate earnings significantly down in the first half of the year, that will probably set the stage for a recovery in the latter part of the year. If we believe these facts, if long-term investors simply sit tight for the rest of the year, they should find themselves solidly on the other side of the valley, while those sitting on the sidelines 
will be licking their wounds, wishing they hadn't remained in cash or out of the market. I personally believe by 2024, the problems we've faced over the past three years will be washed away. That's not to say we won't face other problems, but I do question whether they will measure up to the unprecedented and unmitigating chaos of the last three years. How should investors deal with stock market volatility? Um, big investment market swings are, are always difficult for investors to cope with, especially new investors. There's, there's a massive amount of uncertainty right now because of interest rate hikes, increasing property prices and everyday commodities getting more and more expensive because of inflation. As we've seen this week, investment markets react to these factors as they happen. Unfortunately, financial journalism only tells us about them when it's bad news. If you have a diversified investment portfolio, which is master your risk profile, slow and steady will usually win the race at the end of the day. The best performing portfolios are those that have remained in the market. The most important thing to remember is why you are investing. We can't avoid short-term volatility, but if we have a long-term time horizon, historically, stock markets go up and you'll need to have the discipline to stick with your plan. Now, long-term plans will always be affected by market conditions, dips and corrections. They will happen. They, they just can't be avoided. The media have to write attention-grabbing 24-hour-a-day headlines, and if you're not strong, they will turn your head with scary-sounding scenarios such as economic bubbles, bear markets, corrections, the current one, I suppose, is recession, and even death crosses. We shouldn't ignore the fact that when investment markets go south, investors are presented with a unique opportunity to invest. So if you have money sitting in cash now, you, this could be a very good time to get that cash working harder. The best investment brands in history have not been able to time the market. The best advice is simply stick with your plan and keep on investing. It's impossible to time your entry into the market, but historically speaking, investment markets always recover. Stay level-headed through the peaks and troughs and always keep in mind why you're investing. I hear what you say about not trying to time the markets, but do lots of people try to? <laughs> yeah, it's so true, Howard. I'm, uh, I've experienced so many peaks and troughs and periods of intense volatility during my career. I'm now firmly of the belief that the wise investors are the ones who spend time creating a long-term strategy, then have the discipline to stay in the market even when it feels really uncomfortable. Time repeatedly proves trying to time the market is a gamble, and like all bets, they sometimes win, but in most cases, the bookie is the one who wins. Timing the market also carries plenty of risks. The biggest is the risk of missing out. Jumping out of the market when it goes south to reduce risk can result in you missing some of the biggest rebound days. Everyone has been told, don't buy at the top and sell at the bottom. If it's any consolation, professional investors rarely get this right. There is always the temptation to stay in just that little bit longer, then once you're out, hesitate about going back in. If you invested €100,000 in stocks and shares over the last 10 years and remained fully invested for the whole period, you would have doubled your money. If you missed the best 10 days in that whole 10-year period, your profit would have dropped 40%. Now, if you missed the best 30 days, you'd actually have lost money. So if we put that into context, Howard, if we were out of the market for less than 1% of the whole 10-year period, we would have lost 16% of our original capital. That is quite a sobering fact. So personally, I'll stick with my plan and stay fully invested. 
Do all investments carry an element of risk? And how do we establish what our risk profile is? Then build a portfolio around it. Well, if, if the past eight, 12, 18 months have proved anything, it's the fact that a no-risk investment just doesn't exist. We all need to hold cash to cover our expenses and our, our, our emergency reserves, just in case. But we also need to understand what the real interest rate is. Not so long ago, inflation was running at, at around 1%, and if you tied your money up, you might, if you were, if you were lucky, get 2% on a term deposit. So the real interest rate was in positive territory at around 1%. Now, in preparation for our seminars, I was looking at what we could get for our cash right now. Around 3% is the best I could find. So with inflation running at 6%, the real interest rate is minus 3%. So we are guaranteed to lose money. So that doesn't feel like a very safe investment to me. Most of us recognise that for some of our assets, Exposure to market movement gives us a better chance of outperforming inflation and producing real returns over the medium to longer term. However, the starting point must be clear and objective assessment of our appetite for risk. Otherwise, the result could be an investment portfolio that's actually not suitable for us. These days, there are some very sophisticated ways to evaluate our appetite for risk, which combine psychometric assessment, with the consideration of our assets and the interrogation of, of our investment objectives. Every investment portfolio can be forecast to display a set amplitude to risk. Lower amplitude, less investment risk, but probably also lower likely returns. A higher amplitude to risk brings greater potential returns, but also higher investment risk. Our objective needs to be ensuring our investment portfolio matches our attitude to risk. It's quite difficult to impartially assess our own risk profile. It's best done with a professional third party guiding us. If we don't get a sound assessment and then try and match that to the optimum blend of investments, we can easily find ourselves with an investment portfolio that's either too risky or too cautious for our own personal requirements. So another step which ensures our portfolio is suitable is identify your requirements. Do we need income, growth or a combination of the two? If our prime concern is to preserve our wealth for our children or grandchildren, what are, what are our investment time horizons? Now, once the advisor understands the background, they can then help us build an appropriate portfolio. How big a role do tax-efficient structures have in improving investment returns? Well, the tax-efficient structures provide the, the protection which legitimately helps us to minimise tax and occasionally avoid tax completely. The, the important word there was legitimately. British listeners will be familiar with ISAs and pensions. Both structures allow you to accumulate investments in tax-preferable environments. Minimising tax is the simplest strategy to improving investment returns. If you're a French resident still using a UK investment manager, now is a very good time to reassess your arrangements because just next month, the UK CGT allowance will, will reduce from £12,300 to £6,000. Then in 12 months' time, it will reduce further to £3,000. Sticking with what we know and the structures we understand and those which we established in the UK will increase our tax costs. If a £400,000 UK investment portfolio realises a 5% investment gain, it will incur a French tax liability of £6,000. 
reducing our, our real investment return from 5% to 3.5%. If those investments were correctly structured from a French tax perspective, the tax charge would be reduced from £6,000 to £300, and our real investment return would be 4.9%, not 3.5%. In these inflationary times, that sort of tax saving is even more important than ever, but it's especially important if you need your investment capital to supplement your pension receipts. Are investments something you're discussing at your spring seminars? <laughs> yeah, Howard, uh, how clients have arranged their investments is, is obviously a crucial aspect to strategic financial planning. So yes, we will be discussing how you need to structure a financial, financial arrangements or how those investment assets can be managed at the, uh, the seminars that we're in the middle of already. And I'm happy to be said... I'm happy to say that we will be joined by one of our key investment partners. The seminar's main aim is to make people aware of what they might not know. Things have changed so much over the past few years, we can all be forgiven for not keeping up with everything. Our seminars give us an opportunity to showcase not only what we do, but how we do it. Although there's a lot to cover, we won't be getting too deep on the day, so the seminars will only run for about 60 minutes, which then gives everyone plenty of time for a chat afterwards. This year, due to the demand, we have three seminars here in the Alp Maritime. On the 28th of March, we're in Es, the 10th, 29th, we're in Mandalu, and on the 30th, we're in Biot. The following week, we have seminars in Lagarde Frenet and San Remy, and for those living further afield, maybe listening to us online or via a podcast, before our roadshow gets local, we'll have seminars this week down towards the Spanish border in Gaillac, Limoux, and Narbonne, then up in the Alps the week after in Annecy, Chamonix and Val d'Azur, then we arrive here in the local region. So, if you would like to book a place, call the office. The telephone number is 0493 That's 0493 Alternatively, you can find out all the details about where and when our seminars are by visiting our website, which is www.lovingsfranks.com. Many thanks, Rob. Enjoy your travelling, and we'll talk again next Sunday. <laughs> Absolutely, Howard. Speak to you then. Cheers now. The Blevins Franks Report. If you would like more information on any of the topics discussed in this programme, contact your local Blevins Franks office on 0493001780 or riviera at blevinsfranks.com. French tax, inheritance planning, investing, UK pensions and taxation. Questions, questions, questions. Fortunately, expert help is at hand. With answers to these key issues and so much more, don't miss the Blevins Franks Riviera seminars on the 28th, 29th or 30th of March. They're free to attend, but places are limited. Visit blevinsfranks.com today for information and to reserve your place or call 0493001780.